interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you better improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you've experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello. I'm your host. I'm a growth evangelist, founder of Growth Through Grief, as well as a fellow widower. I lost my beautiful bride, uh, Judy. Uh, we were married 19 years, and I lost her some five years ago. Today, I've got a really special guest. My guest today is Dr. Kristen Carter. She's co-founder and internal medicine physician at Grace Medical Home. And Grace Medical Home, they help address over 200,000 uninsured here in Orange County, Florida. They've uh, taken care of over 5,000 patients over the past decade. And uh, she does just an amazing job of taking care of those who um, are kind of left behind by our, our systems in place to get them the medical care they need, as well as mental health counselors, diet care, and also spiritual care as well, which is a big part of Kirsten's practice. Uh, from her experiences, experiences at Grace Medical Home and her extensive experience in primary care, functional medicine, Dr. Carter, well, she's here to talk about stress, how it impacts our bodies, as widowers and how we can leverage the right medicine, the right self-care, uh, the right activities, and the right faith to dramatically advance our healing and growth. Dr. Carter, welcome. Welcome, Tom. It's so great to be with you. Uh, many widowers that I talked to, and this included me, I suffered from stress, suffered from trauma through the process. Uh, some of it is kind of short-term intense experiences of stress and trauma usually triggered by things like special occasions, places, gosh, songs, a lot of times, Kirsten, get me, just situations that we're in. For other widowers, that stress has been long-term. A lot of it starts even before our spouse passed away, going through the disease battle, right? And that grieving period. Talk about stress. And what I wanna talk about first is, what are some of the short-term impacts on our bodies from stress and that trauma? Well, you know, Tom, stress has a lot of levels and there's emotional stress, physical stress, and, you know, our thoughts become our emotions, which become our behavioral actions, which also become how our body reacts to everything. Because what we are is we're, we're three things. We're our body, mind, and spirit tightly woven. Mm -hmm. And our, you know, people will underestimate how much stress impacts those three strands each individually. And in the acute setting, it's, it's obvious people lack sleep. There's just, you know, people can't think and um, those kind of things, but that cortisol, when that's elevated, it does a lot more in our body than just um, the fight or flight. And it affects our immune system, how our GI tract works, uh, even down to our epigenetics. That's re with regards to how our DNA gets transcribed. So in the short and long term, there are massive effects. So let's talk short term and dive a little bit deeper in that, if you wouldn't mind. So short term, you experience stress, you're triggered by something, as an example. That song comes on and all of a sudden there's uncontrollable crying, um, or you curl up in a ball, or maybe uncontrollable anger. I know some people act out that way. 
what what's going on? Our, our basically our amygdala reacts, right? So there's an alarm system. And then what happens? What is that physiological process that we go through? So the whole stress response, which is triggered through these emotions, which is real. However, our body does not differentiate between a stress of I'm really emotionally upset right now because I'm thinking about my the loss of my loved one <clears throat> or I'm really angry right now. Those emotions all get translated very similarly to the same response of our body going, oh, my gosh this is dangerous and I'm being chased by a lion. Mm -hmm. So in the very immediate aspects and people know this, you know, there's, there's those sayings that I'm seeing, I'm so mad I could see red. That's mm -hmm. because our, you know, the epinephrine goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes up. Some people feel facial flushing and this is dry mouth. You'll see when people speak, a lot of times they want a water bottle. It has to do with the stress of the acute aspect of your epinephrine going up. <laughs> and in that same way, in that whole parasympathetic and sympathetic response, it also alters how our GI tract works. So now you're not absorbing your nutrients because now the stomach, your, your body goes to... I've got to do everything that's important, but not everything that's not important right now. Just to survive, right? I mean, it, it's a survival. Exactly. Yeah. So things like digestion, those slow down, things, all those things. The stomach actually ends up getting its blood flow shunted away. And even down to stuff like, for example, so people get um, malnourished in the acute setting, they, but they also get things like gastritis. Some people mm -hmm. get GI distress because of this, whether it's diarrhea, the cramping. And then there's also things where in that acute, so everything that's not emergent, the body says, we're putting this on hold, we're putting mm -hmm. that on the side. So even things like gonadal function, it changes how women's um, menstrual cycles go through. It can alter ovulation. It can alter um, men's with their sexual health. And so in, in the acute setting, those usually reverse quickly where someone says, okay, I'm really upset. The, you know, they kind of walk themselves through it. It lasts minutes, hours, but it's not a day-long event or a day's event because the day's event accumulation is where we really start getting into major, bigger problems. Yeah. Focusing on the short term, I know for me, um, I get a severe kind of venal vagus response and I can tell my breathing changes, uh, my throat kind of closes up. Um, how do you get yourself out of that short-term reaction? What's, what are some of the techniques that you recommend people use to do that so that it doesn't impact and get into the acute phase? So one of actually, one of my favorite things to do for me, for myself is I pause. And that's where I come back to being, coming present mindful. Where am I? I'm in my own two square feet. My feet are on the floor. I'm sitting in this chair. What am I thinking and feeling? I'm, you know, I'm in fear about losing my 
spouse that was going to cause financial issues. You know, there's always there's the loss and then there's the other things that go with the loss. Mm-hmm. It's also where the angers go. So then you start thinking about what's the why you got triggered? What's the why? And then you go back to, is it real? Is it is it something I can go just honor myself? And I'm like, yes, you know, I really do miss my wife, Judy. It, it, I love her so much. And you get to honor that part of yourself, but then you get to walk yourself through it as opposed to jumping down the rabbit hole, doing the deep dive. And next thing and you know, that. yeah, you do have exactly, to get the control that. back, right? From the alarm system. So the amygdala is going off. It's going into fight yes. flight response mode and you have to get the alarm shut off first. Exactly. And then, and then that will then quell the limbic system from the epinephrine and all of the other, um, hormones that are being released that are then firing up the rest of the systems through your body to react. And one of the ways that I do it, Kristen, you mentioned a few of them, right? There's a mind-body connection. So if you can get yourself back out of your imagination, which this is, even though um, it seems real and these worries seem like they're reality, it isn't the now. So getting yourself into the now, I think, is really important and doing anything Mm -hmm. physical at that point. Like you said, tapping your feet on the floor, um, maybe tapping your chest. There's tapping that's used in PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do your frontal tapping, side tapping. The sternal tapping is Mm -hmm. very strong. Yeah, that's one that I use because I feel the venal vagus response. So to me, it's if I can get it where the response is occurring, that's usually a way to calm it down. The other thing is breathing. Um, meditative well, uh, breaths, see, right? Yoga. Tom, you know the answer. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what I do is quick. A quick one is breathe in twice through your nose and then once out through your mouth. So that kind of, I do it before speaking. Um, I do it when I feel I'm being triggered in grief. And it really helps to get back the control. So, Basically, the first, there's four T's that I like to use to kind of get out of this mode. And the first two are there to kind of calm the alarm alarm system, which is transition. So you got to get that physical action and or breathing and or both kind of to get you to transition from your limbic system to get back into your prefrontal cortex and get to back to your thinking, your logical brain. And then the second is think, which you indicated is, you know, I'm here. I'm not, I'm present. I'm not thinking about the future and concerned about that, or I'm not reminiscing about the loss and going back in time. I'm in the now. So I, my uh, mnemonic that I love to use is pause, but it's not Mm -hmm. P-A-U-S, it's P-A-W-S. Okay. Um, through my children growing up, we always had a lot of animals around, which are, we can go on to that one as another way of just all your coping mechanisms. But it is, it's about becoming present. And as you said, the where, the think, the T, what am I thinking and feeling? Because all of our emotional responses actually come from what we're thinking. How am I going to change that, that kind of thing? And then I do the W, which is now I become willing to surrender to God because acceptance and surrender are the keys to all of our answers. Mm -hmm. And when I've thought about the emotion, so I've acknowledged it, become present. And then I've set it free back to God. Usually 
that's enough where the thinking comes in. I do the breathing. I'm a three in, three outer just because it's three and I always try to make the expiration longer than the inspiration, breathing in my nose, breathing out long, twice as long as the inspiration. And if that doesn't um, work, I'm a huge fan of move a muscle, change a thought. Getting up and walking five minutes can transform what you're thinking and feeling and altering that physiologic response. Because sometimes it's gotten a little bit ahead of you. So your body does need to reset. So using that exercise to kind of use up those stress hormones to walk them out, etc. Love that. Now, let's talk a little bit about long-term impacts before I want to circle back to the faith aspect, which you mentioned, which is an important part of the four T's as well. Um, Long-term, I see many widowers suffer from sleep, lack of, lack of it, uh, dramatically. What's physiologically going on that's preventing widowers in grief from sleeping? So chronic sleep deprivation is huge, and it really does take a massive toll on our body because that's when our brain resets, that's when our body resets, and it usually has to do with, and that sometimes, Tom, it's just the fact that, and this sounds almost paradoxical, that they have been up and so long and so Uh, preoccupied with caring for their loved one on their exit, that now there's this empty space and they Mm -hmm. don't even know how to fill it. Mm -hmm. So that empty space can be a problem. And it's usually always a thinking thing rather than a physiologic thing. And this is a time that you don't have to be a hero. This is a time when even something like Benadryl helps sleeping to get you back into your sleep cycles. And daily exercise is a phenomenal treatment of insomnia. Yeah, like you said, try to use up that energy, all those hormones that are getting released by the alarm system throughout the day. If you're not exhausting them, they're then exhausting your body, but not to the point of sleep. They're almost keeping you up, right? Because cortisol will act to keep you awake. Is that correct in terms of the correct? The yeah. Well, it is because when you're on alert, so you have to be awake so you can look around. So that mm-hmm. is where, and don't forget, cortisol doesn't necessarily have to be stimulated through a stressful, meaning like, oh my gosh, now there's danger, but that's how our body perceives it. The cortisol can go up to says, I'm really sad. Yeah. This is a big loss that still secretes the cortisol that keeps, that changes all of your other hormones, including melatonin, all the ones throughout our brain, whether it's norepinephrine, dopamine, all your GABAs, all those other ones. have. They're yeah. just, I like to say your snow globe gets shook up and it can't, the little flakes haven't settled down so you can see the little village. Yeah. The dopamine is our kind of reward, right? Um, so that stops being produced. So that's where a lot of the sadness, longer term sadness can come from. The melatonin gets inhibited, which is your sleep hormone, right? So Mm -hmm. no wonder why. Not only are you on alert with one hormone, but the melatonin itself can often get depressed. And so you don't have that that, uh, sleep stimulant or sleep uh, antagonist um, that's present. 
And do you recommend taking melatonin and supplementing that? I definitely do. It's a great time because this is when you need to reset. The chronic cortisol of high alert from a big loss is really one of the biggest robbers of sleep. And there are very complex neuronal pathways. Our brain is just amazing in how it works. And so when you are in stress, you're in different parts. You've got your frontal lobe and you're talking about your amygdala, your limbic system. All of these really have to have a homeostasis. And that chronic stress, we really weren't made for that whatsoever. So things, small glands like the pineal gland, which secretes the melatonin, it shuts down. So this is where we need those things to start supplementing it until the brain gets a chance to reset itself. Got it. So from a mind standpoint, how do we cope with and mitigate stress? What are some of the things that we need to do in our minds to maybe handle this a little bit better, uh, for lack of a better term? Because there's no, there's no perfect way to kind of get through grief, right? But are, are there maybe things that we could do with our mind that can kind of help quell that stress and some of these reactions? Absolutely. And, you know, self-care is key. And this starts from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Um, and this is where you're going to start figuring out journaling is an amazing outlet for grief. And it's also your opportunity to start seeing and teasing out what you're thinking and feeling, what's triggering you. A lot of folks really presume it's just the loss of the individual, but sometimes loss of their loved one can trigger other loss. It turns out that that loss triggered another previous loss, which then triggered the divorce when her when the parents were young, which triggered you losing your grandmother to age two. And you start teasing all them out so you can deal with them individually. Uh, one of the things that so you can start realizing and then it gives you this opportunity in this space to think and feel that loss. So the rest of your day can be released from that emotional cortical thinking at the time. You have this kind of the brain dump, that emotional dump that allows you to kind of get through this because denial is never going to work. Our body keeps score and we have mm -hmm. to address it and release it. And this is where exercise really is key. And you, I, whether you walk, bike, run, swim, yoga, Pilates, it doesn't matter. Doing it with someone is key and getting an accountability. Most of us, you know, finding a friend, a neighbor, a loved one to say, come and walk with me five minutes a day. <laughs> Usually someone, people really want to be of service in these times of loss. And instead of bringing a meal, would you come walk with me? Mm -hmm. You'll find it a fascinating. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of times it's another opportunity while you're walking to say, listen, would you walk with me on while we're walking? Would you share um, some of your favorite memories about Judy and we could celebrate her? And this mm -hmm. gives you an opportunity to also emotionally process, but you're also walking too. So it kind of keeps that emotional response in check while you're also emotionally connecting because isolation is a, that is where the devil finds you. That is an ugly place to be. So there's so many of those things. Um, 
once I get, it's not just self-care. So it starts in the beginning of the day. You've got to find some exercise. You've really got to start changing how you eat and make sure you're not eating. If you're not eating, you need to be eating. If you're eating too much, you need to cut down, but it's also what you're eating. The quality and quantity of food you eat really does affect. There is a 100% gut brain connection and it will change how you think and feel. Yeah. The gut is now being called the second brain. There are some mm -hmm. there a little bit that are calling it the first brain. There's more bacterial DNA in our body than human DNA. Correct. Um, so you're totally right about that. And what we eat, if we're eating things like, you know, heavy carbs. So I'm, I'm feeling bad, Kirsten. And, you know, I don't care about myself maybe as much as I should. And I'm going to wolf down that fast food burger and those fries and that Coke. What happens at that point in our bodies that makes that a negative perhaps? Well, th this is a time when the emotional eating really is um, part of that downward spiral. <laughs> because when we eat, especially the complex carbs, and in particular, the crappy carbs. So not only are you not nourishing yourself and you have those high cortisol levels, you now just change whether your blood glucose levels exponentially, which mm -hmm. triggers a greater insulin release, which now you're into this spiral and you've got these high cortisol levels. It is a setup for illness, inflammation, Without your throughout your body, which also affects how we think and feel. Once again, these things, the inflammation, the elevated glucose, our brain uses a ton of glucose, but it doesn't like this. Mm -hmm. It changes where we are in our in our thinking. You know, people used to talk about the brain fog you can get after certain meals. It's a real event. It also alters where your stomach blood flow goes. Once again, everyone likes to talk about, you know, after Thanksgiving, everyone thinks it's the tyrosine or the tryptophan and the turkey that makes everybody sleepy. But it's really usually has to do a lot more with the what they ate and how much they ate. <laughs> Definitely. Now, so, so yeah. even though the emotional eating makes you feel better in that second long term, it's it really becomes problematic. Another challenge, alcohol, substance mm. use, right? Um, talk about that. I mean, that obviously can keep you in that stress state and that depressed state. Well, it really does. You know, people start self-medicating from their emotional distress, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're irritable, restless, discontent, whatever it is, they start self-medicating, whether it be with alcohol, marijuana, pills, there's all kinds of opportunities. And sometimes people self-medicate with other things, you know, too much Netflix, you know, pornography, whatever it is, essentially, but those things, especially alcohol, because um, it's socially acceptable. Most of the time, number one, it does not address what we're thinking and feeling. It just covers it up. Those emotions are still there and they will come out one way or another. Number two is the alcohol. Once again, it is a toxic. When we talk about being intoxicated, we're taking in toxins. It suppresses most of our cortical thinking, we, it is not our best decision maker, mm -hmm. major cause of inflammation. No one ever thought, no one ever made a, a, their best decisions while being impaired. Hangover helps no one. 
and it's also an immunosuppressant, and we're now triggering more of that cascade. Yeah. And, and it's a depressant. Yeah, yeah. For me, I would also overeat when consuming alcohol, and then also know that I wasn't getting everything I could out of my workouts and everything else. So even though you may be trying to improve certain areas, if you're having those few drinks every night to self-medicate, you know, a little social drinking is, um, you know, kind of normally accepted. For me, I definitely had to go completely the other way and just say, that's it. I'm never having another drink again. It immediately helped gain benefits in my workouts. I immediately began losing weight and the effects were just so positive. And I was lucid to deal with the grief, which I think mm -hmm. I needed to do. Because like you said, if all you're doing is suppressing it, um, there's an analogy of it being a dragon, your grief. And if you put that dragon in a closet and you're feeding it with the alcohol, it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger and it will never go away. And it's going to be there and it's going to come out at the most inappropriate or worst time in your life. And so um, definitely it was one of the biggest things to my healing process was giving up alcohol. Well, it really is because you're covering up the grief. Mm -hmm. That will not go away. So not only do we have the toxic effects of alcohol and the, the how it's going to alter our physiology, our thinking, etc. Just as you said, Tom, the emotional problem that we're trying to escape from is there and mm -hmm. it's not getting any smaller. Yeah. And so you really do have to get sobriety, gain sobriety, and then deal and address things for that ultimate healing and curing to occur. We mentioned faith and the four T's are when you're stressed and in your, the alarm system goes off, you've got to transition from the limbic system into your thinking brain, get that alarm turned off, kind of get your thoughts back. You got to think as number two. And then the two others that I added to it, which align perfectly with your pause, P-A-W-S method is thank and transcend. And both of those are mm. things, you know, even as bad as everything gets, there are still amazing things to be thankful for. You know, even though I lost Judy, I have two beautiful, amazing daughters in Sophia and Elena. Um, I still have my health. I still have um, amazing friends. Um, I still had people that, you know, I was thankful that were around me that were part of my team. And so I think part of it is, is when you do think about the things that are causing you trouble, you can then take a moment and say, thank you, God. Thank you for all of the things that I still do have in my life. And then from a transcending standpoint, it's, you know, do know that everything in this earth is fleeting. Um, everything will rust. Everything will fade away. There will be another loss. You know, you lost your wife. Your, your mom might pass if she hasn't yet. Your dad might pass. You know, there are going to be other losses, friends, family that are, are going to, and everything is temporary in this world. And so if you don't transcend up to a higher belief in God, I think you will always be susceptible to these additional losses because we're living in a broken world where everything does rust and fade away. 
Talk about that and the importance of faith in the healing process. Well, I, I do want to mention just gratitude. Gratitude is actually an overriding neuronal pathway. When we look at how when someone's anxious or depressed, there's certain aspects of the pathways. We have done this with functional MRIs. When someone's even in the thick of their emotional distress, for whatever source it is, when they go back to gratitude, which is at least, you know, I'm grateful that I, I'm sitting here. I'm, you know, I, I actually have my health. I'm alive. I have air in my lungs. I ate food today. <laughs> there is always something to be grateful for. Always. And when we do that, you can actually see on functional MRIs where the neuronal pathways jump. They actually jump. It's more potent than benzodiazepines in changing anxiety and grief. And it's fascinating. And we all can find something to be grateful for because we're alive. Yeah. We're sitting here. We're watching or listening to this podcast. We most likely had a meal in the past months. We you know, for what there's always something to be grateful for. And that's really an amazing stopper. The breathing, the gratitude aspect is huge. Yeah. And it's actually one of the great things also treatments for insomnia is to make a gratitude list before you go to bed. It's amazing how that actually changes neuronal pathways too. Yeah. Kirsten, but, I was using it first thing in the morning, kind of putting together that gratitude journal and giving thanks. And for me, it got my day started off to where I was starting it from a point of thankfulness as opposed to a point of sadness. But I love your advice as well of doing it at the end of the day because of the resetting that it's doing in the brain in those pathways. So keep going. So for me, faith is the answer to all of it though, really. And when I say acceptance and surrender are the answer to all of our problems, it is. <laughs> Surrender to his will and acceptance to his will. Um, for me, I believe in God. I believe that there is a divine creator and he had a plan for me all along. You know, Tom, you mentioned there are certain facts of life. And one of them is that it's hard and that we will experience loss on some level at some point. And that is just a fact of life. And if it's not in this moment, it will be at some point. So going back to acceptance, which is starting to just step a little higher up when you're thinking about your situations. I like to think about it. If I can have an eternal perspective to really think about what I think and feel echoes in eternity, everything I think and feel looks very different. It makes me really come back to a bigger place to think about what I'm stressing about, what I'm anxious about. And when I allow the sunlight of the Holy Spirit to come down upon that, it always thinks and feels differently. So that for me, one of my best treatments for insomnia also for me is I listen to, um, I have a podcast that I listen to, or actually it's an app where if I can't sleep, um, it will play the Bible to me. And that is actually the best treatment of insomnia I've ever had. I've recommended it to a lot of patients. And it's funny because a lot of them will say to me, I'm atheist, agnostic, Muslim, whatever. And I said, it's fascinating. Just try it. Because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of apps out there, a lot of free apps. 
And some of them, because of their frustration with their insomnia, will choose to do so because sleep is so important. And it's amazing the success rate. So that's also a just one of those things that really makes a difference. From a scientific standpoint, Kirsten, because you're a doctor, talk about Blue Zones a little bit and what they found there with regard to the importance of faith, because I think this is really fascinating. So I had the opportunity just to even talk to a large group on a national level of physicians where we got to talk about epigenetics and telomeres. So now we're getting to the dorky part. <laughs> so the telomeres, our DNA is a little crosshash X and the telomeres are the tips, almost like the end caps of a shoelace. You know, mm -hmm. we all have that little plastic tip to them. So we know that from inflammation, cancer, all the diseases actually come when those telomeres get either snipped off or frayed, kind of mm -hmm. like when the end cap of your shoelace gets damaged. You can't thread it through the little eyelid any longer. Mm -hmm. Well, when our telomeres gets damaged, that's what precipitates disease. So we have now figured out that the key is to either um, keep your telomeres strong or lengthen them. We've done a lot of study in blue zones. Blue zones are these areas of populations that are found without the globe that have found to have the highest number of people living the longest years mm -hmm. and living the healthiest. So the lowest morbidity, what you die from, the lowest mortality rates, and they have a large number of people in an older age, but they're very healthy older age. So what they, we've been doing is being studying them to see what did they do right? Because it's not just a one outlier. There are these groups of people. So what did they do? What was their secret sauce? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things they noticed was, regardless of the actual faith, whether it was Christian, Hindu, whatever, these, uh, these populations had a very strong faith. Using that information, we actually have had a chance to do several studies, large studies, where we do PCR. Everyone knows what PCR now is polymerase chain analysis of white blood cells mm -hmm. in people's bodies, where we were looking at things that would lengthen tel telomeres or keep them strong. And faith, faith was the number one prognostic factor that kept people's telomeres long and strong. So when I say that surrender and acceptance to a higher power, for me, that's God. Mm -hmm. I honor everyone's faith. It is your path. It is your path to choose. But that really not only makes us think and feel different, but it even changes our DNA. And that, to me, is just amazing. And Kirsten, to take it a little bit further, when we are stressed and when we're grieving, that, too, is having an impact on our DNA, right? It is affecting the telomeres. Is that correct? It is. That's actually, it's fraying them off. So we found that there are severe environmental stressors, meaning smoking, those kind of things, things we all know about, mm -hmm. but emotional stressors are actually stronger and almost equivalent to smoking when it comes to damaging our DNA. Yeah. 
And so your cure, we mentioned a few things that are good habits to have, but the real, I think, secret power here is could could be faith. I think that's what you're trying to get across, right? Actually, it is the secret power. Mm-hmm. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, is what it says in Nehemiah. Joy is a choice. It's how we're going to choose to think. It also comes back to our gratitude. It's our strength. It's our superpower. So when we come back to those places of what am I going to think and feel, because though we do, because we do have complete control over those, and allow to walk in the sunlight of the Holy Spirit, everything, even big loss, look, thinks, looks, and feels different, even down to our DNA. Yeah. So it affects the brain positively, gets you out of that stress mode into a much more relaxed mode, can help you to sleep more, and it will prevent disease and long-term impacts because it will help to keep the sneaker nubs, the, the telomeres intact, right? Correct. Kristen, what's the one thing you'd like to make sure our widowers, our growth warriors take away from today's discussion? Loss and stress is huge. You do have control over it. And even though right now or yesterday may not think or feel good, you can change each moment. Each moment we really do have control over. And especially the biggest point of control is in the surrender. I love that. It seems almost... Paradoxical. Paradoxical. Yeah. Thank you for the word there. Um, it, it kind of is, right? The control actually comes from the surrender. Absolutely love it. Kirsten, wise words. Thank you so much for participating with us here today. Thank you, Tom. As always, it's a joy. It's a joy doing this journey with you. Thank you. And if you like what you heard from Kirsten, please be sure to hit the like button, subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.